Welcome to the show, everybody. Thanks for listening. Uh, I'm still high off my last interview with uh, Ugly Kid Joe guitarist and Godsmack and Evanescence producer uh, Dave Fortman. That was such a great interview. So much fun. And uh, this one's just going to keep the streak going. Uh, we've got another huge guest today, uh, Sean McNabb. He is so amazing. Uh, I can't believe this guy's resume. He's been in so many huge bands from Quiet Riot to Dawkins. And he was in Great White uh, for a long time, but you'll find out why he often leaves that one off his resume. Uh, so we discussed that, plus his acting, uh, which includes the movie Four Christmases, Sons of Anarchy, uh, Street Survivors, which is a Leonard Skinner movie. I haven't seen that one yet. I want to see that. Uh, and we talk about that, plus he has a lot of fun stories, uh, some sad stories, and just a lot of overall great stuff. Enjoy it. Um, so first off, uh, I, I need to, I do need to offer my condolences on your, uh, former bandmate and friend, I'm assuming Frankie Benelli. That's really sad about that. Yes. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's been a tough couple of, you know, about a week and a half and, uh, I owe Frankie a lot, you know, Frankie, uh, basically gave me my first job, uh, nationally in quiet riot yeah. when I was 20 years old. So he basically gave me my start in the business. And uh, I had been in only in L.A. for two weeks and uh, went out to the cat house, Ricky and Tammy's cat house one night and uh, uh, was introduced to Frankie. And he goes, hey, come over. We're auditioning bass players. Why don't you come over uh, to the Valley tomorrow and uh, let's see. Let's meet you and uh, maybe record a track, see how it goes. And, and it, it worked out for me. I was yeah. So I got a lot lot to uh thank frankie for great man did you keep in touch with him throughout the years like did you i mean you must have run-ins because some of these uh, a lot of these bands that you've been in i'm sure you guys toured together or did shows or festivals together absolutely did uh we always were playing together and then i don't know if you knew this too but um i also went back and i think it was 2005 oh, yeah and did a summer with kevin and frankie and uh that was uh so I think I'm the only bass player that has played with Shortino and Kevin. Yeah. Shortino, man, I was just listening to that, your album with him. I didn't realize like how he really has like the David Coverdale, Robert Plant sound. I mean, it's, it's really phenomenal. I never noticed how good of a singer he really is. Shortino's special, you know, he, he, uh, he's so soulful. I, we call him a blue eyed soul singer. You know? Yeah. <laughs> he came from that term. He came all, all those great soul singers, Sam Cooke, uh, you know, all the Motown guys, Smokey. He came from all that. And, of course, then the, the rock guys, you know, your, your Coverdales and your Paul Rogers and all that. So he's got all that. He's amazing. Yeah. Well, let's talk about you. So let's back up a little. You grew up in uh, South Bend, Indiana, and your brother was a drummer. Your parents played like the Beatles, Steppenwolf, you know, ELP, Jimi Hendrix. You kind of grew up with that sound, but it really was around what was like nine or 10. You went to go see The Who, or, or sorry, Tommy, the movie by The Who. And that's kind of what really inspired you to actually like pick up an instrument, right? Absolutely. Uh, I was very lucky. My parents were into music and um, I grew up in that era, you know, with the the incense, the beaded curtains and the waterbeds and the <laughs> 60s, 70s rock, you know. But in, in my opinion, some of the best, you know. Yes. And uh, very like the Beatles, all that, you know. Uh, my parents always were playing good music. And 
And yes, uh, then my mother dropped me off at a matinee. I'll never forget it. it cha- that day changed my life uh, of the movie Tommy. And, you know, if, you, if you've seen it, you know, it's a it's kind of out there and avant-garde movie. And for a, for a 10-year-old, I didn't really understand a whole lot of it. But I knew I gravitated towards the music and the Who's music and John Entwistle. And I kind of walked out of that theater going, that, that's what I want to do, you know, that day. <clears throat> yeah. So is this around the time you started playing the bass? Did you uh, take lessons or were you, were you self-taught? I'm always curious with that kind of stuff. Uh, my mother had a, she had a classical guitar and <clears throat> she kind of gave that to me. And, I, you know, you play that with your fingers and stuff. So that I started playing with my fingers and that just felt kind of natural. And uh, that, I, I, that led to bass getting involved in the school band. You know, they, they needed a bass player. I'm like, oh, let's mm-hmm. try that. I, I had played trumpet and drums before that, my brother being a drummer. Could never get a sound on the trumpet, and my brother was a much better drummer. So I thought, oh, okay, let's let's try this uh, bass guitar thing. So then, and did you do any acting as a child? Because I know we'll get into the acting thing, but I know um, you later would do movies and TV. Did you do acting in high school plays or anything like that? Absolutely. Um, I was around drama and, and uh, drama classes early on uh, in my church. Um, it was actually a Unitarian church my mother was going to and took us to. And we, we, had, we uh, got into drum classes at a very early age. So I've, I've been kind of around that my entire life. Uh, and then when rock and roll kind of took over and, uh, you know, I got, got away from that for a while. But um, 15, 16 years ago, I got back into the acting thing. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So we'll get to that. But so with your music or at this point around high school, you, or you, you were kind of playing in the, uh, a lot of bar bands in the Midwest and Florida. And then before even Quiet Riot, you got an offer to play in that band. Uh, is it, so, so how do you say it? Soraya? Soraya, which Soraya. was actually uh, Sandy Soraya, great, great singer, but it was actually called Alsis Lorraine before they got their uh, deal. Okay. So yeah, going back, you know, we used to play in these bar bands uh, around the Midwest in Florida, you know, and it was, it was great for honing our chops. You know, we played all the top 40 stuff. So that helped me be a lot more well-rounded musically, you know, when you were playing all the hits, the top 40, you know, you were playing a little bit of funk, a lot of rock, you know, pop, you know, uh, just a, a vast, you know, variety of music. And that, that really helped uh, me cut my chops as a young musician coming up and, and, you know, you played three, four sets a night. So it was great training. And I did that in, uh, many bands in the Midwest and then two bands in Florida that worked all the time. And, um, then I got that offer to go to New York, move to New York and join, uh, which became Soraya. Uh, they had a deal on Polygram. And I moved from Florida in beautiful weather to wintertime in New York City. And what a what an eye-opening experience that was. Yeah. Yeah. So that actually had the uh, this is a little bit of a deep cut for some of my listeners who might not know a lot about music, but uh, it was like the original danger danger guitarist, Tony uh, Bruno Ray, which he went on to do a lot of like work with uh, was it Janet Jackson, all sorts of stuff. He was in that band too, right? 
I don't think Tony was. I think uh, it, it was Sandy, Greg, and oh man, I can't remember the guitar player's name, but he was really, really good. Oh, maybe he joined uh, later. Yeah, I don't know. He was really, really good. And he was friends of Ray Gillen. Oh, okay. And, uh, yeah, he's a really yeah, good and he actually recommended me. Well, I'm not trying to jump forward, but here was the deal. I, I went out there. Things were taking a long time with uh, Saraya to get right. up on their feet, the deal and everything. And I ended up moving back to Indiana for a while. Yeah. Uh, and in uh, hopes to move to L.A. and joined another band there for a few months, and then was off on my way to L.A. Yeah, so tell me about moving to LA. Like, did you have a plan when you moved to LA? Like you didn't have a job lined up. Did you have money saved up? Did you have, I'm always curious with these kinds of like, this is a big move for you. Did you have like your car full of your belongings or it was just like a one-way bus ticket and a suitcase or? That's thanks for asking that question. Uh, no, I, I had a, a dream and, uh, two bases an SVT and a Nissan Stanza. And, uh, <laughs> and I think I had I think I had 200 bucks in my pocket and uh, this friend of mine from Louisville, uh, I say Louisville cause that's the way you say it. If you're from Louisville. Okay. But uh, this friend of mine, uh, she goes, Hey, if you help me move out, if you follow me out there in my U-Haul, you can stay on my couch for you know a month or two until you get on your feet or whatever, find a job. And wow. I thought, that's a great opportunity. Let's do that. That's prime so real estate. That especially now, like it, it, you know, because rent in LA, a couch would be. I mean, even a couch oh. is like probably. You could probably get a thousand bucks for a couch. I think I interviewed this comedian, and he shared a room with some old guy he met on Craigslist. And I think he was still paying like five hundred bucks. They had to share a bedroom and like even share like the floor. They didn't even have a bed. I mean, is there? So that's like a pretty good deal to get it for free, then. Dude, and it was amazing too because the. I moved in right on Sunset and Gardner, which is right by the Guitar Center, all those guitar shops at the time. Oh. And in my building uh, were some people that really knew a lot of people in the scene. Uh, Betsy Browning, I don't know if you know who that is, but she knew everybody. Oh. And uh, this girl, Tina, she was actually the one that took me to the cat house when I met Frankie and got the gig quite right. But uh, you would see like Rudy... Sarzo, I met him early on, and some of the oh, yeah, I had him on my show. would come near and dear friend, and yeah. he's been so helpful me in my career and, and uh, just becoming a an adult. <laughs> you know? um, but and one of my heroes, you know. Uh, but we'll get to that in a minute. Um, so this building had a lot of traffic, foot traffic of a lot of the guys that you know, I was into their bands and that's that kind of music. I was at the right place at the right time. Hmm. And, um, I was very, very lucky. I got in quiet riot two and a half weeks after I hit town. Wow. That is like, that is a really amazing story. Cause you hear some stories. It's like years of grinding. I mean, you were probably grinding in those other bands and things, but that's pretty oh, much yeah. two weeks in. So part of it yeah. is kind of knowing, people and kind of getting into the plugged into the scene and stuff then it sure is you know and uh i i really believe it was kind of a a god kind of destiny thing you know because i had worked real hard and and uh i left school you know going uh in 11th grade to go out with a touring band you know i was making 250 bucks a week and 
all my friends were schlepping away in school. And uh, I was like, man, I want to play rock and roll, get chicks and drink. And I'm doing what I do, you know? Yeah. And so at that point, did you, when you're 21 and you joined Quiet Riot, it's a national band, it's a big band. Did you just feel like you won the lottery at that point? Well, yes. And you know what? And here was the deal. I was, I was, if I got any greener, you could smoke me, man. I, I knew nothing about the business yeah. of rock and roll. I was just so happy to be in LA and be in one of the bands that, you know, I idolized and it was really a, a dream come true. Uh, looking back, I, you know, I would have done some things differently just business wise. I didn't know any, I was just happy to be there. You know, I, sure. I, ne I never, uh, uh, learned all that business stuff, you know, that you what learn you as you done, go. What would you have done differently business wise? I think I would have gotten involved in uh, probably the writing a lot more and probably gotten an attorney, you know? <laughs> really? Yeah, it's interesting. Oh, yeah. There's a kid here that I interviewed. Uh, I mean, he's like, I don't think he's, I think he might be 21 now, but he's real super young and he's got a music career. He's really talented. And uh, yeah, he's telling me he's got, you know, an attorney and a manager and an agent. And I'm like, all these things. And I'm like, wow, this is, I mean, cause, but that's what you got to do now, huh? That's a big piece of and it. Was, it it you had to do that back then too. I just didn't know, you know. And uh, uh, but you know what? At the same time, it, I've that's kind of been my life. I've learned everything the hard way, and you know, I'm just kind of one of those knuckleheads that has to learn it the hard way, and then then I learn it, you know, yeah. and then I'm good. Uh, so I wouldn't change a thing, you know. And and going back to Frankie Benelli, you know, God God rest his soul, he, he gave me my start in the business. If it wasn't for Frankie. I wouldn't have leapfrogged to all those bands that I've been in and had that kind of music career. And Hey, we made albums, you know, there's yeah. a lot of people that can't say that, that made records. You know? Right. Do you have a memory of Frankie that like something that stands out when you think back at that time? Yeah, he was, he was really good to me. Uh, especially in the beginning, it always take me out to dinner and uh, I'll never forget us playing Japan Aid 2 together. It was, a, it was my first big gig. And here was the bill. Dig this bill. It was, um, it was who was the headliner? Uh, it was Dio, Quiet Riot, George Duke, uh, Irene Cara, Gorky Park, and there was, uh, oh, and James Brown. Oh, wow. That's a diverse yeah. mix of artists. So I got to meet James Brown and, uh, you know, hang out with all those other guys. But that was a, my first big gig. Um, really cool. And, you know, Frankie was just such a powerhouse, man. He just laid that groove down and you just jumped right in it. And uh, he taught me a lot about how to play in the pocket, you know. And, uh, and I, I learned a lot from him. And he, he also, you know, I did a lot of things that, you know, stupid stuff kids do when they're kids, you know, and he, he checked me on a lot of that. And, and I was, I was thankful for it because, you know, I needed to be checked at that time. Right. Just like partying too hard or something or. Yeah, maybe, maybe a little bit of that, but just, you know, things that kids do, you know, not always the best decisions. Okay. You know? All right. Fair enough. Well, so yeah, you made uh, that one album with them in uh, 88 or, or it goes around that time. And then 
you God, you joined so many bands. It's amazing. Look at your resume, I and mean, people just go on your Wikipedia. But you were in House of Lords for an album, and then in '93, yeah, you, yeah, and you made a th- you made an album called uh, Bad Boys with a with a Z. I don't know if I if I heard that one, but I mean, and then a, another one called Bad Moon Rising. I think it was around this time, right? Yeah, that was with Cal and Doug uh, Doug Alders and Cal Swan from Lion. And I didn't actually do the record. I did the tour. Chuck Wright did the did the record. Um, but that Doug Doug actually got me that gig in uh, House of Lords as well. Doug Aldridge and okay, we, we we go back a long ways, you know. And he's a wonderful guitar player and great guy. But yeah, that's really uh, got me off and running there. Yeah, and I found this interesting too, because um, there's always kind of this discussion about. Um, you know, the, the arena rock bands versus the grunge bands or whatever, but you were actually friends with the bassist, the good friends with the bassist from Allison Chains, uh, Mike Starr. In fact, I heard you I say was. that uh, he used your bass on the Dirt record, which is pretty crazy. That, that is absolutely true. And uh, God, I'll show it to you. It's right here. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Exciting. This is actually really cool. Uh, what brand is that? This is an old Spectre. Okay. And uh, wow. this is actually really cool. Uh, every major record that I've done, almost every record that I've done in my career has been with this bass. And uh, they, this was one of the original uh, Spectres that was made in the late 70s. This is number 385. But uh, it's, a, it's just a recording machine, man. It's mm-hmm. beautiful. And and uh, Mike Starr also played the Spectres, and uh, he liked this bass. He, he had played it before, um, and I said, hey, you want, to, you want me to bring it down, and you can plug it in and see what it's like, and I did, and, and uh, I love that Mike Starr, man. He was a great dude. He was, uh, he was into, at the time, we were all into uh, that band Infectious Grooves, which was oh, yeah. Robert Trujillo. So, around with the thumb a lot in those days yeah. and that had nothing to do with Alice in Chains but Mike was into it too you know and so he goes hey can you show me some of that stuff and uh and I did and I'll, I'll never forget this we're one-on-one and uh they're doing the record and I think Dave Jordan uh Mike and I go into the bass room and, and you know we're fucking around with the bases and and uh he goes you know can you show me some of that slap stuff and i go okay you know sure and so we start messing around with the amps and we're all slapping away and they're having fun you know just what bass players do it yeah know, especially at the time and jordan uh dave jordan walks in and goes did you guys did you guys change the eq on the amps you idiots freaking yelled at us so we're like whoops was he the producer or engineer producer because it was set for the album you know we should have known better we're kids yeah we're having fun you know and uh anyway he yelled at us and with with good reason and uh you know i look back at that and uh you know we lost mike and who knows, you know, what could have happened. Uh, I might have ended up in the band had that gone differently, but 
whatever. In Allison Chain? Yeah. Why so, were you, you try out for him or something? No, but you know, I was friends with those guys. And then you were friends with all of Allison Chains? What's that? You were friends with all the guys in Allison Chains? Yeah. Oh. I didn't yeah, know that. But Mike, but you know, we knew each other and we, you okay. know, it was cool. Uh anyway, it was one of those things that, you know, he was a he was a special guy and just had a heart of gold and you know, that brings me to you know, I I got so many friends that uh ha- are not here anymore and you know. Yeah. And I I got sober 16 years ago and you know, I I got tired of seeing my friends move on you know and that's been painful and uh yeah i've heard that story from a lot of people i've interviewed like i think one of the first was uh was craig gas he was like good friends with uh, the comedian mitch hedberg and that guy and there was like just so many like it was the same thing all these friends he got so tired of it and he told me he just quit cold turkey one time he just he had a beer and he just goes he threw it away and he's like i haven't had a drink since crazy i love craig too man oh you know him him. yeah yeah I love him on those roasts, man. Yes. He's like, yes. He's the man on those roasts. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, I met him a, a little while back, but I didn't know he was sober. But um, yeah, I didn't do it cold turkey, but uh, it's it's been one of the best things that I ever did, you know. Yeah. So back, but going back to your career, so in the '90s, eventually you join a Great White, and you're you're in that band for like I don't know nine or ten years or something. You're on like five albums. Uh, Jack yep. Blades from uh, Damn Yankees and Night Ranger produced that Can't Get There From Here out record, which was actually like a really good record. It had a, a, at least a song or two, I think, on rock radio. And I remember li- living in Seattle and I loved hard rock. I and mean, I like grunge too, but um, they would never play like the quote unquote hair bands, like new music. And they played that song a lot in Seattle rock radio. And I was like, wow, they're playing the new Great White. This is amazing. And it was a really good song, the Rolling Stone uh, song. Yeah. You said uh, some of the greatest times of your life, but also some of the darkest times with Great White. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I'm really proud of the music that we made, and especially on that Can't Get There From Here record. Um, I did five albums with them, but that, that one was on John Kalodner's label. And, uh, and he produced for like Aerosmith and stuff, right? Isn't he the guy in oh, the yeah. Aerosmith videos with the beard? Like, dude looks like That's a lady. It. That's him. He looks like John Lennon, kind of. Yeah, with a big beard. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Um, Yeah, we were on his label, and uh, we worked really hard on that record. And it was interesting because Don Dawkins started out producing it. Right. And uh, we just couldn't get anything done, you know. And it wasn't Don's fault. It just, for some reason or another, we just couldn't get anything done. And uh jack blades got hired to come in and boy we knocked that record out in a, in a month's time and uh i was like thinking wow this is either going to be really great or it's really going to suck being produced by a bass player or you know he's going to want to play the bass or something he was the greatest producer uh he was supportive he knew how to get the stuff the best out of you he wrote great songs did he co-write some songs on out? Cause he he's co-written songs with uh not only Night Ranger and Damn Yankees, but also for Vince Neal and Aerosmith. And I mean, Absolutely. he's all over the place. He's a great writer and yeah. great. And 
he, he just brought it all together, man. And we knocked that record out in a month's time and uh, kept it. Uh, we kept it, I want to say, not so slickly produced. It, it had a rawness about it mm-hmm. that it wasn't women and verb like all that 80s stuff is. And Didn't you say and, he, uh, he told you guys to listen to uh, the Rolling Stones for like 30 days straight before he went into the studio and recorded it? I think it was longer than that. I went out and just bought the Stones collection. Okay. And just enough. And I already loved Bill Wyman, so that was an easy one for me. Yeah. You know, and and he was right. You know that that record has that vibe to it. Yes. And uh, he he was man one of the best producers I've ever worked with. So you said one of the high points of Great White was you did a tour with uh, Rat, Poison, and L.A. Guns. That sounds pretty. That sounds like one of my dream tours for sure to watch. Dude, we we had such a ball on that. That was in '99, and uh, Poison hadn't toured in ten years. So oh yeah, okay. So you throw Rat onto the bill, Great White, and L.A. Guns, and it was sold out every night, man. Every amphitheater that we played throughout the country was sold out, and wow, it was just. It was one of those special tours that I'll never forget. You know, it was just awesome. And uh, Poison couldn't have treated us better. And then you got Rat on the bill. You know, it was it was really, uh, it was a really special thing. And people came out for it and supported it. And, and we had a record out, too, to work. We were, we were kind of, like you said, yeah. getting some radio. Yeah. So we had momentum. Um, and you know Jack, man, I love Jack. I, at that time, Jack was at the top of his game, man, top of his game. And when Jack is at the top of his game, nobody can touch him. Yeah, no, that must have been a fun tour. So uh, you you were still kind of in party mode at this point. You hadn't kind of cleaned up your act. So what about those other bands though? Because they're some of those guys are a little bit older at this point. I think hadn't Poison kind of clean up at that point. They were kind of. They were sober and stuff, or was there some a lot of, of shenanigans? Some of them there were, but there was a lot of shenanigans <laughs> and uh, all that rock star stuff, you know. Give me one uh, story, like, from, like, an average Joe like me. Like, what's something that people would hear and be like, oh, my God. Like, I mean, you've seen, like, the movie Rockstar. I'm sure you've seen Motley Crue's The Dirt. Does that, like, is there anything on close to that level that's happening on this tour? Absolutely, and more. <laughs> And more. And I, don't really go, I don't want to go into detail, but uh, it was all going on in that tour. Mm. And um, we had a ton of fun. You know, of course, nobody was getting hurt or anything, but yeah, you know, yeah. that was just, that was, that was all that decadence and rock and roll and people having a good time. It was a summer tour, you know? Yeah. Uh, not a lot of clothing, you know? <laughs> it was, <laughs> We, we had so much fun. I'll never forget this. Uh, we had this bottle rocket fight one night. And <laughs> what? Three of the buses, I think it was might have been 4th of July or something like that. Okay. But three of the buses were on one side of the back parking lot of the amphitheater, and three or four of the buses were on the other side. And I'll never forget this. Some guy, some guy it was in Florida or something. This guy shows up. He had a mushroom, or he had a suitcase full of mushrooms, and you know, like we all took mushrooms. Them. Yeah, 
And we all, you know, thank God it was after the gig. We never <laughs> did anything before the gig. It was always after the gig. Is that but, pretty uh, common with rock bands? Do most of them not do anything in, while they're on stage? Because I feel like Guns N' Roses, there's times where I've watched them and gone, like back in the day where they were like just beyond fucked up. Oh, yeah. I, I can't speak for everybody else, and I think it, it, everybody differs and everything. Okay. For me, I, I always wanted to do a good show and then get my party on. You know? Okay. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I think for some people, whatever works. But um, that is a drag, though, when you go to a show and the band's too wasted to give you a good gig. Right. You know? Exactly. Yeah. That sucks. But anyway, so this guy had a suitcase full of mushrooms and yeah. uh, rockets and what? Oh, yeah. So we we all bought these fireworks, you know, because they were legal and everything or whatever. And uh, we all took the mushrooms and, you know, we're coming on the mushrooms. And somebody, somebody runs out of the bus with like some bottle rockets and fires them in our bus. And we're like, oh, no, you're not getting away with that. So we run out and fire some bottle rockets. And next thing you know, it's Roman candles. Oh, next my thing God. You know, it looked like a firefight, you know. Uh, nobody and, got hurt? Uh, no. <sighs> That's and good. Which is a miracle. <laughs> and we're running out. And the next thing you know, we're chucking M80s and okay, whatever we had. You Jesus. Know? It, uh, it was great. You oh, know, wow. we, we weren't trying. We weren't throwing the M80s too far. We just throw them out in the middle of the parking lot to blow up and scare okay. somebody. You know, but it was just us boys <laughs> having fun, and that was that was a great night. I'll never forget that. And you know, there was the psychedelics too. And <laughs> well, that's right. You're so on mushrooms while you're watching. I mean, that must have been freaked freaking you out a little bit, or. Yeah, it was great. It, it was great. It, it enhanced the experience. Okay. So those are some of the good times. But then, like you said, you also said these were some of the darkest uh, points for you. So this is kind of when you hit your uh, your low point with addiction. And I know Great White, the band, obviously, um, there were some uh, bad things for them. And this is interesting. I heard you talk about this because you were actually not there for the whole station uh, nightclub fire. But you said that somebody asked you about that incident. like every single time you brought up the band name and here I am completing the cycle here. And that started to kind of wear on you, right? It really did. Um, you know, uh, my addiction, you know, from there kept kind of ramping up and, uh, you know, the, the cocaine and the alcohol and all that, you know, really ramped up for me and, uh, it started to get out of control. And, um, I had gotten, let's see, I had gotten fired from the band uh, oh. towards the end of addiction, and um, uh, that was, you know, not not easy because you know I'd been in the band for a long time, yeah, and that didn't help me. But then they had asked me, someone from the management company called up and said, "Hey, you want to go out and do this tour?" and um, here's what we can pay you. And I'm like, wait a minute. I used to be a member of this band and a member of the corporation. That's what you're going to offer me to go back out. No, thanks. I, I'm not going to do it. And, uh, two and a half weeks later that happened. Wow. So, uh, I think somebody was looking out for me. You know? Yeah. And, uh, it was just a horrible tragedy that happened that really shouldn't have happened. And, of course, nobody went there to hurt anybody. It just no, no, no. was a horrible, 
set of circumstances that kind of was, was it, so was it common to use pyrotechnic pyrotechnics in small clubs back then because i know now they've made it illegal to do so but is that something that they'd done a lot or we we never did you know okay. we never did and i had played that club many times and there was a lot of foam on the walls for sound because the neighbors would get sure. pissed off about sound and I guess the adhesive that they had stuck all that on with was highly flammable. So that's what was the deal with that. But um, like you said, you know, I, I almost, I, I kind of took great white off my resume for a long time because every time that would come up, someone would ask me about the tragedy and the fire. And, you know, I just felt so bad about it. I lost friends yeah. there. You know, and uh, I kind of had to just let that go, and and uh, you know, horrible oh, tragedy. Yeah, terrible. So, and then you kind of closed the book on Great White in about two thousand eight, um, and then you started. You joined uh, Dawkin for I think you did a couple albums with them, and you you called Don Dawkin. I mean, he uh, kind of produced that one album for Great White, started to, but. Um, you called him your your boss, which is it's kind of interesting. So, what's it like having Don Dawkin as a boss? Is he a cool boss? Yeah, or? yeah. He, Don, Don was great, you know, and uh, we had some really good years with him. And, and then, uh, you know, he had some rough years with the hell stuff and, and struggled with his voice a little bit, you know. Yeah, how's he and, doing? Uh, didn't, I heard he had surgery on his hand or something and, and it didn't go well. It didn't, was it his hand? I don't know. Okay. But uh, all, all I know is that he's a, he's a near and dear friend of mine and, uh, I adore the man and I, I, I want good health and, you know, his, his girl's a friend of mine too. Uh, and I want good health for him. And, uh, last time I saw him, he looked good. He sounded good. No, it made me very happy. You oh, know, that's good. We, uh, we, we, uh, we played a lot of gigs together, you know, him and Mick Brown and John Levin and, and, uh, we had a solid thing going there for many years and, uh, made some good music as well. Yeah, it's interesting because, so you were in Doc and you work with Don Dawkin, but then you also would uh, later end up joining Lynch Mob. So you work with the original uh, Doc and guitarist, George Lynch, of course. What's he like to work with? He kind of intimidates me. I've just, I've heard stories where, not, you know, just that he, you know, might come off to some people as, um, I don't know, just like he scares me a little bit. Like he might have like, people think he has an attitude or something, or did you have any experience with him? Well, I had worked with George back in 2002. Um, I did a, a summer with Lynch Mob, so I go way oh, back. Okay. This whole Doc and lineage, I go back with, you wow. know, uh, since Under Lock and Key and everything. And that whole Great White and Dawkin used to have rehearsal studios right across from each other um, down at the beach. Mm -hmm. So... You know, we were always around each other. Okay. Um, and yes, I, uh, George is one of those guys, you know, he's, he's one of the guys that, uh, is in that top five. He's right in there with the, in the conversation with Eddie Van Halen, Randy Rhodes, Vi, George Lynch. I mean, he's in there, you know, he's one of those Zach Wilde. He's, he's in that conversation for guitar hero, very special player. He's, um, Kind of like nobody can really do what he does. Yeah, you know? he's got his own thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, it was 
really cool to play with him for many years. And, uh, um, you know, he's, he's one of those guys, you know, uh, either you get him or you don't. Sometimes his humor is, can be taken the wrong way. Oh. If, if you get it, you get it. And if you don't, you don't. Okay. And that's just what it is with him. And, uh, huh. you know, I'm proud of the work and the, uh, the eight year run that I did with him. And I felt like, uh, you know, I, I've been blessed to lay it down for a lot of those guitar hero guys, Ronnie Montrose, George Lynch, Doug Aldridge, you know, it's, oh. it's, it's a big responsibility to, to lay it down for these guitar heroes. And, you know, my job is to make everybody look good. Uh, when I say that, I mean, lay down that foundation so everybody can shine. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And you don't mind kind of taking that little bit of a backseat with a lot of this stuff in the band. I mean, cause you still get to be in the band and play, but you're not the front man. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Really good with that. And, uh, you know, I've, I've made a career out of it, you know, and, and been really lucky. I'm still doing it, you know? Yeah. And, so, uh, yeah. Yeah. So I was going to ask you another thing too. Um, is it true that you, I don't know if you wrote this music or you just play on the music, but you've done like some other stuff besides being in these bands, like McDonald's commercial. I'm loving it. Is that you playing on that? Or did you write that? Or what, what was the story with that? I did not write that. I wish I wrote it, but, uh, no, I was in a series of commercials that did, you know, the ba da ba 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 yeah. or whatever. You know, I did some of those and those That's played. Your, you playing the bass on that? No, I don't think all of them, but some okay. of them. Okay. That's yeah, pretty cool, though. And the Dr. Phil yeah. show, you did music for that one, too? Yeah, I did something for that. Uh, and that was a thing that played every day on his show. Oh. You know? So did you get a royalty for that, then? I did not. I... Uh, I took a buyout on the session, you know, um, cause that's what the offer was. And, you know, I just did it. And did you know it was going to be for Dr. Phil or did they just say, Oh, we need to just do some music and uh, we might use it. We might not. Or how does that stuff work? Did they tell you like, this is for the Dr. Phil show. You said, don't screw it up. I think I knew it was for the Dr. Phil show, but was that, that was the gig, you know, it was either, we can pay you this for the session. Either do you want to do it or not? And uh -huh. I said, yes. And they go there, you know, this is a, something you're not going to make residuals on. This is where the pays. And do you want to do the session? And I said, yeah. Cause they have the negotiating power. Cause if you don't do it, they could just get another bass player. Right. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Cause people probably yeah, line you know, up for that job. It was something to put on my resume and I thought, Hey, you know, maybe it'll lead to another, show or something you when know? you say resume so, do you have like an actual like paper resume like for the music stuff yeah no uh, <laughs> yeah no all the gigs i've gotten have been word of mouth or you know somebody recommended me or saw me play at something you're not so you're not on linkedin is what you're telling me i am but oh you are has anybody ever <laughs> Has anybody ever gotten a gig off LinkedIn? I mean, that's what I'm, I'm curious for music. I mean, for me, I get offers for like, you know, stupid stuff like, oh, like a sales job or something. I'm like, oh, I don't want to do this. But that'd be interesting if, you know, uh, uh, Quiet Riot or Dawkin was, you know, hitting people up on LinkedIn. That'd be interesting. The world yeah, is I don't think changing. <laughs> but so, okay. So, yeah, I mean, that you've done so much music stuff, but let's talk about your acting. Like, 
Uh, what made you want to get into acting? Because you didn't really do any music and or uh, sorry, film and TV work until two was was four Christmases. Was that, was that your first like major uh, thing that you'd done with film and TV, or had you done commercials and things? I had. Uh, it was one of them. I was already union at that point, uh, oh, so wow. I had some stuff. Um, no, I think I got. I started doing some commercials and you know that's usually that what you start out doing when you're when you're trying to build a resume is you do student films commercial you try to do commercial stuff and you're you're trying to get your sag card so okay you, i don't know if it's this way anymore but you used to get vouchers for doing those things and once you have oh. three vouchers you were uh eligible to join sag huh okay, okay. i'll never forget it i did I did a couple of commercial things and then one afternoon I I played this life coach in something I don't remember exactly but they I got Taft Hartley which all the, what that meant was is I was I was um available to be to join the union. Okay. And in one you know I spent all this time trying to get the vouchers and then oh you we just Taft Hartley you you're in. All you got to do is pay the money. <laughs> okay. Nice. So, so yeah so that yeah, you got your union card, and then you did uh, you did four Christmases. Um, did you have any yeah. interactions with uh, Reese Witherspoon at all? I'd, I'd really like to get her on my podcast. I, I'm sure she's uh, <laughs> probably getting a lot of offers. But did you have did you have any interactions with her, Vince Vaughn, or any? Yeah. Of oh, you did. She she was amazing and very nice. She she loved music. Uh, that was a great shoot, and we this was really cool because we were Dwight Yoakam's band in the movie. Oh. In the church and, scene? Yeah, but okay. there was this whole other huge monologue that he had, and and we, we went into some things with him. So we spent a whole week on the set with him shooting all this, and uh, they ended up cutting that monologue from the movie. Oh. But uh, we hung with him and played Beatles songs, you know, all week. It was oh. so much fun. And that's cool. uh, Dude, that, that's crazy because – you know, we were just the band basically in the movie, but because I was union, I got, I got paid a SAG rate and I've probably made, I don't know, $65,000 off that being in that movie. Really? Wow. And I still get, still get checks. They're not as big as they used to be, but, uh, I still get checks from that because it's a Christmas movie and they play every year. Yeah. So those are the kind of the kind of gigs that you want. Now, yeah. now you get a you get a, a nice uh, guest star or you know lead in one of those movies. You are you're making some nice checks. So that's awesome. Well, I I like that movie. It's a guilty pleasure for me. I don't know what what it is. I just I always my girlfriend we always joke we like we want to do that like at the beginning how they just they're going to go on vacation for Christmas instead of going to their family. We always just like let's let's go do that. Let's just go on a vacation for Christmas. But of course in the movie they actually end up going to their families. So I mean Vince Vaughn, Robert Duvall, Reese. Yeah. I mean come on, John Favreau. Yeah. Like so many such a great cast. Right. Yeah. And Favreau's become a big director, you know? Yeah. That was all that. Yeah. I loved him in Swingers. That's one of my favorites. Oh, yeah. We were just talking about that the other night. Some of my guys from acting class were talking about that in uh, Swingers and uh, maybe it was Rounders or something, too. Uh, oh, that's a good maybe movie. it was Swingers. Yeah. 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 
So, yeah, so then you were in uh, Sons of Anarchy. You said that it took like four years to get on the show and you, you had a little bit of a smaller part, but you did five episodes. So what's it like being on that set? Because, I mean, how many of the guys on that show are actually tough biker guys and how many people are just playing the part? Because you are a real biker. I saw you went out and uh, rode bikes with Gilby Clark the other day. Yeah, I'm a boost fighter, which if you Google the boost fighters, it's a motorcycle club that's been around since 1946 with uh, a lot of the history of Southern California biker culture came from the booze fighters. Wait, wait, so, you call it a club or is it a gang? Is there a difference? It's a club. Okay. It's a three piece patch. It's the real deal. You know, obviously we're not doing any gangster stuff, but, uh, <laughs> no, that's good. We are, we're respected by, uh, some of the power clubs because we were around before them, you know? So, uh, the club has that respect. And uh, anyway, it's, it's a really great thing to be a part of. But uh, going back to what you were talking about, uh, it did take me many years to get on the show. Um, it was, uh, I was in a lot more than five episodes. Uh, five oh, is really? all that's on my app. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, I was in maybe 16 or 17. But uh, anyway, I, as, a, as an actor, you, you don't want that many... Uh, not lead or not co-stars or lead roles on your IMDb. So I was fine with that. <laughs> you know? Okay. You don't want uncredited things, oh. uh, but dude, it was a, such a great show. Uh, it was written so, so well. And uh, the, the eight actors, you know, the main cast were just some of the best actors that are around and just everything on that show the writing, the acting, the producing, the sets. And you know, my friend built a lot of those sets. And uh, that show was something very, very special. And I learned a lot, you know, being around that, you know, just yeah, watching you, that machine work. Yeah, for sure. Because that's a hit show you want to learn. And uh, you said you get recognized more from that show than being in all these bands that you've been in. It, it depends on who you ask, you know, yeah. I'm starting to get recognized for, I'm, I'm obviously much more proud of some of the roles that I've done of late and where I'm playing co-stars or, you know, bigger parts, um, you know, like some of the lifetime movies or this Skinnered movie that I was just in. Yeah. I want to uh, see that. That looks pretty cool. And then, uh, you did a movie called rock story that has a, it's yeah. kind of an interesting cast, Eric Roberts, Joyce DeWitt, who is a Janice from Three's Company, Gilbert Godfrey. And then uh, you got to do solo music on the record. So you got to sing. And I, I listened to, uh, that's you singing, right? And like, and like also your America song, that's you, right? Yeah, I had America and another song called Fresh Air that they asked me to write a couple songs for the movie. And you got a hell of a voice, man. I was really impressed. I was like, oh, I didn't know what to expect for a bass player. But no, you got a really good voice. Thanks. I, I've actually, you know, gotten a lot of the gigs that I've gotten because I could sing too. You know, you, you need strong yeah. backing vocals like uh, that. But you, um, it was a real honor to write a couple of songs for that. I've done three movies with Eric Roberts now, and another thing that you know we're trying to get off the ground. But he he's fabulous. And he's uh, you know, brother, right? Isn't that right? Or is that just an urban legend? No, he is. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. He's yeah. done a ton of movies. Oh my God! You ever seen the Pope of Greenwich Village? 
Uh, no, I don't think so. Is it good? You're checking. Yeah. Is he? Wait, was it's he amazing. in the Runaway Train? Was he in that one too? Not that, okay. but he's got a IMDb a mile long. Oh yeah, 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 for sure. Is that a pretty yeah. good gig to to be in the in the uh, you know the the lesser not not necessarily are they B movies? I don't know what you call it, but he's in so many. Is that still a pretty good gig, even if it's not a huge major Hollywood production? To do a lot of indie films, yeah, yeah. I think I think as actors, you know, we want to we want to do our craft at all costs, you know. And uh, I, I know he gets a lot of straight offers because he's Eric Roberts, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, myself, I I've been working really hard. Uh, I work out at an acting studio every week. You know, I've got a coach, I've got wow. a manager here, and I'm really working hard to really up my game there. And uh, all I want to do is be a working actor. You know, I don't That's need to be cool. a movie star. I just want to work and do my craft because it's another creative outlet. It's a lot like music, you know, I mean, all that life experience that I've had, uh, I can use in my acting and all that experience of being on stage and all that. I can bring that to these characters and I'm, I've been learning how to bring them to life with a lot more layers and a lot more depth in the last several years. And I think it's leading to better parts for me as an actor. That's you know? super cool. So you did a, a lot of pilots. You, uh, you didn't, uh, it didn't make it, but oh, what, yeah. what were some of the memorable ones, either like really good pilots or really bad pilots or ones with like star power that didn't end, end up uh, making it? Well, a lot of pilots are like that, you know, uh, they maybe, I think the the staggering numbers are maybe nine, eight to nine out of 10 don't make it. Okay. You know, every once in a while you get a diamond, you know, it makes it. So you, and you say, thank God, I I haven't quite had that one yet, but you know, we, we remain hopeful and, and open to whatever the universe wants. But um, that happens a lot. And uh, you always put your best foot forward. I like, I just shot, uh, a proof of concept a couple of weeks ago this great thing uh, called Captain 80s about a band that uh, uh, didn't make it in the 80s and now they get a chance to open up for this huge band in their 50s so the comedy is all in getting the band back together and and uh, I play uh, like the band leader and my daughter's the manager and it, it leads to these beautiful comic situations and it's a really really great story oh that sounds and, fun that uh, sounds right up my alley oh uh, yeah and you know that's i can't say too much about it but uh, okay. it's going to be really, really cool I, I saw some some of the dailies uh, last week and uh it's got a little supernatural thing going on too okay. it's really cool. yeah. so how many auditions do you have to do to get a part like is it does it take do you have to do a lot of auditions that's what i hear a lot of my acting people that I've interviewed, they said, you know, they just got to go on so many auditions. It gets really tiresome. Uh, you do a lot of auditions and you hear no a lot, you know, you weren't what they were looking for or, you know, um, and then every once in a while you get, you, you're right for it, you know, and it, it, it does help to have people that believe in you and know that you can do it. Sometimes you get straight offers and you don't have to audition, but for the most part, uh, and now a lot of the auditions are like this, you hmm. know, sure. Uh, uh, on, 
these Zooms or you turn in tapes, you know, and, and I've been doing that a lot. Uh, everything's been stalled for the last six months, obviously, you know, right. because of COVID. And uh, things are, I, I've had a few, uh, I've turned in a few tapes and things like that, but now the business is starting to come back, you know, people are hungry for new content. And uh, I know that some shows are ramping up right now in pre-production and a few are already in production. So that, that's a good thing. Okay. Not only for for all the crews, you know, it creates a lot of jobs, you know, in the economy yeah. and, and many different ways. And, and people uh, need entertainment. We need something that we're, we're getting uh, sick of the politics. We need some new shows to take our mind off of that. And there's so many great networks and, you know, a lot of outlets for new content. So we're witnessing a really great time for film and TV. Oh yeah, for sure. It's the golden age. So uh, you said earlier uh, that you're, is it 16 years sober now? Why do you think yeah. it's such a cliche for so many people to go through this? Uh, like I said, so many people I talk to, you know, they're either the mo a lot of them are, you know, they've had success and they've kind of, they go through that phase where they have a party phase and then they're like, I can't do it anymore. You know, they get too old. Why is that like such a cliche for rock stars and stuff? It just kind of goes along with it. You know, um, my brother and I, we grew up, you know, idolizing all these rock stars that made it look cool to be fucked up and, you know, and uh, rock stars. You know, that's we we grew up in that era to where, you know, we, we looked up to all the all those, you know, Jim Morrison's and Hendrix's and Janis Joplin's and, you know, that, that looked fun and appealing, you know, yeah. and, and, uh, you know, it, that got, got me started. My brother, he turned out okay. He never had any problems, hmm. but I got the gene, you know, um, to where, you know, I started using marijuana at a really young age and that led to everything, you know, and, and, uh, it just, it kind of just goes along with the lifestyle, I think, you know, for, for a lot of people. So when you, and, you it was around age 39, did you just get kind of like, you just felt like got fed up with it to a point where you're just like, I got to quit. Is that what it was? Was there one thing that happened at that point? Or that was when you're on great white, I think. Right. So. Yeah, there was a, I got tired of looking in the mirror, you know, and going, I don't even know who that guy is. Um, I had a daughter that wanted nothing to do with me, you know, that hurt an awful lot. And I, I go, you know, I'm 39 years old that I need to, I need to make a change. And, and, uh, it took a lot of work, but, uh, I've got this beautiful daughter in my life. I've got a grandkid in my life, you know, uh, that is all a blessing of me getting sober. And, wow. and it was so much more than drinking and using, you know, and I don't want to be that preachy AA guy, but it was like all that step work and everything I did uncovered a lot of stuff, you know, that made me go, oh, you know, it's not just the drinking and using. It was a bunch of other stuff that happened in my childhood and this and that that got uncovered and discovered and discarded and and uh, made a lot of sense. So it wasn't just a, just about the drugs and the alcohol. It was about just kind of growing up and learning how to do life, you know? Okay. Wow. So, and then yeah. you say, you know, you're more, are you more into like health now and stuff? Cause if you're in that party lifestyle, you're probably not worried so much about your health, but now you 
Um, you know, you, I don't know, I heard you talk, I don't know if you're still doing this, but you're doing like this diet that you're on, like a sugar de- detox. And you said you'd rather go to bed hungry and wake up skinny than like, and I mean, you look like you're in great shape. So, I mean, do you have any diet or fitness tips or anything? Or what, what are you doing now to stay in shape? Well, it, all right, right now, you know, we haven't been able to go to the gym. So we're, we're hiking, uh, doing weights in the backyard, you know, but for the most part, when you get in your fifties, you can't eat all that good stuff that we used to eat. You know, you really got to cut the sugar out or it just packs the pounds on. At least it does me. Yeah. So I figured that out. Uh, I'm on a keto based diet. Okay. That, uh, isn't always fun, but you know, you reward yourself here and there, you know, and, uh, you can't eat all that stuff. I, I always, my wife and I, we always joke, we're like, would Christian Bale eat that? You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the answer good. is no, yeah. he would not. No, and uh, especially yeah, if so he's we, uh, we, doing we, that one movie where he's all like skinny and he's like really. You ever oh, seen that movie? Crazy, crazy. Yeah, he's an he is an insanely good actor, one of the best. Probably the best. Yeah, and I can't think of anyone better. So, I how are you? My wife is also in the entertainment business. She's a news anchor in LA. Yeah, yeah. She's been in movies too, right? The Cable Guy and stuff like that. Oh yeah, she's she's played that news anchor, you know, a lot. But uh, she's she's also you know in the business. So we we check each other and hey, your talent. You should you can't be friggin' uh, whatever juicy fruits <laughs> twelve thirty eight. You know, right? <laughs> so how do you? So, you're able to be a part of so many great bands and do all this TV and film work too. Like, how do you keep getting all these gigs? Like, is it you like knocking down the door a lot or are people, are people coming to you based on your reputation or like, what's the secret to your success? Is never give up, keep improving, remain teachable. Um, like I said, you hear no a lot, you know? And uh, I think with the acting thing, if you're doing it all the time, like here, look at this table. Oh, wow. Scripts. Yeah. Yeah. Or scenes. Okay. You know, if you're doing it all the time, it becomes second nature. And, you know, uh, you learn how to break these scenes down. You learn how to, people think being an actor is memorizing your lines and saying your lines. Dude, that's like, that much of it mm-hmm. you know there's so much more that goes into it and the people that are booking the roles are those people that are uncovering every stone and and are crossing all those t's and dotting the i's and, and having a moment before and knowing their story arc and knowing the character arc and and knowing how to deliver beats and things it's it's just it's this whole other craft you know yeah. is that, there that, is there an actor or director or like a TV series like that you really would like to work with or, or a TV series that you want to be on? Um, there's so much good TV out there right now. I, I, you know, really, I can't say one in particular. I just, I want to work with writers that are just all in, you know, and, and that are creating these characters that have, that are layered characters, which, for the most part, they all are, you know, yeah, at, at that level, they're, they're, they're amazing. And, um, 
Yeah, I, I kind of gravitate towards the darker, layered characters. Mm -hmm. I like that. Um, I like comedy, too. But I like those darker characters. I, that I find that fun. Okay. And I'm reading a great script right now, which uh, uh, the director from the Skinner movie uh, co-wrote. And it's just oh, so badass. And we'll see, you know. We, just, cool. we keep on growing. Yeah. What about bands? Is there a band? You've played in so many bands. Is there a band that you haven't played with that you want to play with? Absolutely. You know, uh, I still want to, I want to play with all those classic guys like Peter Frampton and Fogarty. And, uh, you know, I'm, it's, I'm more into that classic thing anyway. Hmm. Uh, so I would like to play with, you know, those kind of guys. That's uh, interesting because Rudy Sarzo, he's in the guess who now. Sure is. Hmm. And let me just say, I love Rudy Sarzo, you know, so much. He's, he's, uh, he's been a mentor for me. He's been a friend. He's been somebody that I looked up to that uh, just idolized that became my friend, you know, and that, and that's a, that's a beautiful blessing in itself, you know, and he's taught cool. me a lot just how to carry myself, you know, the way mm -hmm. he carries himself. Yeah. So what's more fun, music or acting? Oh, they're both equally rewarding. You know, they're different, uh, but the same. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing like playing a big old gig and you got the crowd on your side and people know the songs and they come up to you afterwards and go, God, Oh my God, I got married to that song. You have no idea. You know, I used to have people say that to me and uh, that's pretty neat that you can affect people like that. That's very cool. And that, it's also cool when somebody comes up and goes, man, I loved you. And so-and-so you were great in that. You um so you've done so many uh, music projects and movie TV things, and like you said, you know, you, there's so many great things that you've done. But have you ever? Do you ever hear a demo or you look at a script and you just think this is a pile of shit? But then like you need the money, so you do it anyways. Or are you not? Are you at the point now where you you can be selective and say no, I'm not interested in that? I've definitely done that. Um, if the writing's not up to par or whatever, I'd be you know the first guy to go. Hey, it's great. Wish you guys the best with it, you know, and uh, I've got enough footage and credits now to where if it's not up to par, I will say, hey, wish you the best with your project. But, you know, this one's not. Great. That's cool. Or I would have do that or oh, something, cool. you know. Do you have yeah. a manager and an agent or is it the same guy or is it two different people? I do. Um, actually, uh, my manager is behind that show Cobra Kai, which is huge right now. Oh, I fucking love that show. It's funny. Cause I watched it when I was on YouTube and I was trying to tell everybody about it, but nobody had YouTube read. So everyone's like, yeah, whatever. And now it's on Netflix and now it's blowing up. And I'm like, I told you this three years ago or whatever. I know he's going to kick my ass cause I haven't watched it yet, but, uh, I know you that the fan show of the karate was kid. I, of course I saw that. Oh, okay. If you like the original first Karate Kid movie, you'll love Cobra Kai. Okay. Yeah. No, I think it's a guy's show. Like, think about how many guys shows are out there. There's not very many guys shows. This is a guy's show. It's really cool. Yeah. So I'm thrilled for them. And uh, I've also got an agent uh, in New Mexico, which is a hotbed, uh, hotbed for TV and film as yeah. well. And uh, I'm praying for New Mexico to get up and running because that's a, you know, a lot of my friends work in that industry down there and I'm praying for them to get back to work. 
Yeah, that's very cool. So who has who has bigger <laughs> egos, musicians, like rock stars or movie stars? You know, here's the deal with egos, in my opinion, is um, the people that have been around a long time usually don't have egos because they're so thankful for what they have and what they've achieved and that they're still doing it. Those are the yeah. people that are usually really cool that's People what I, that when I do these interviews everyone i've talked to has been like so nice to me like i'm like okay this guy i mean like you think they could be a dick if they wanted they could be a total asshole to me but they're not and it's like kind of like surprising because you always think this that these rock stars have these big egos and they're prima donnas and i just don't see any of that and you know maybe they turn it on for the uh turn it off for the interviews but yeah so you're saying behind the scenes same thing well, what I'm saying is the people that have been around and uh, been in the business a long time are usually really cool because that's how you stay in the business a long time, is that you're easy to work with, you're cool, you, you don't have the ego. Um, in my opinion, those are the people that have long, the longevity, you know, as I, I've noticed, you know, when people first get some fame or something, that's when the ego takes over for a little while mm. people got to go through they got to go through for a little while and they think their doo-doo doesn't stink or whatever for a little while and then they come back down to reality and go wow i'm just grateful to have a career <laughs> and be doing this you know yeah. and, right okay uh, everybody's got to go through it you know uh just part of it part of the thing hopefully it doesn't last very long and you come out the other side quickly yeah, no, that's really cool. Well, you mentioned your your wife earlier. She she's an Emmy award winning uh, journalist, who, and she's from Arizona. She went to ASU, um, and she's yeah. been like I said, she's been in a bunch of TV shows and movies. How did you guys meet? Was she a fan of your music or? No, no. Uh, <laughs> yeah, she's uh, my wife is amazing, dude. She's she got seventeen Emmys. She's been on uh, Fox Eleven for thirty years, and uh, she has a boardroom at ASU in the Walter Cronkite school of journalism down there named after her. She's oh. like, she is a rock star, dude. That's it's, awesome. It's crazy. And, uh, especially here in Southern California, everybody knows her and loves her. She's done great work for inner city kids and a program she does called Wednesday's child. Yeah. Uh, tell me about yeah, that. So they've adopted over five or 600 or five or 600 uh, inner city kids have been adopted with this program. Yeah, and she she's really doing God's work with that, and uh, just to see these kids, you know, get forever homes, and you know, it, it's just so inspiring, and the work that she does, and these pieces that she puts together and profiles the kid on on the news, it's you know, it's worked, you know, five between five and six hundred kids, and it's really a beautiful thing, and and that to to her credit, that's that's the person she is, you know, it's. It's not phony. It's heartfelt, you know, uh, and it's just inspiring. I don't know anybody that works harder than she does. Wow. Like yeah. on the stories and stuff that she's producing. Oh yeah. You know, she works till 1230. At, she gets home at 1230 at night. She's on the meeting at 930 in the morning, setting wow. up for the next day. Um, another meeting at two. They're on at five. Uh, they, then they're on at 10. So yeah, that girl works wow. hard. 
And That's crazy. It makes you want to work hard too. Yeah, no, it sounds like you're pretty busy yourself. Like, you, I mean, all these bands that you're in, and you do, are you still doing the movies and TV and the music? Are you in a band right now? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm in uh, several bands. Uh, well, we just dropped, uh, I'm work, I've am i got a video that just came out with Gilby Clark, my good oh, buddy. Oh, I saw Gilby that. Clark. Yeah, that was really yeah. good. Yeah, that's a stripped down version of the album version that we did. And uh, that's like the three piece version. But, uh, I'm also in this band called Brown M&M's, which is, uh, it's a Van Halen band and, and uh, everybody, it's, it's the coolest band. It's Toshi Unagi from the Jimmy Kimmel band. It's Joe Travers from, uh, he's played with everybody, Zappa does Zappa, uh, Eric Johnson, uh, all these great people. And wow. then Eric Dover is the singer. He was in Jellyfish. Jellyfish. Yeah, and uh, Alice Cooper and Slash and all that stuff. Yeah. So it's this killer band. And we, we're not a tribute band, but we, we pay homage to old Van Halen. Like, okay. Uh, we do all the Dave era, era Van Halen. And all we're doing is just catching the spirit of what they had back then. Okay. Because, wow. You know, uh, Eddie's been sick, and we just praying that he's okay. And... Uh, you know, we're, we're paying homage to that great work that they did. Awesome. Are you going to tour with Gilby? Are you What's going to that? tour with Gilby? I have toured with Gilby. I, I play with him when his regular guy can't make it, but we're, we're the best of friends. And uh, we've got another thing uh, getting ready to come out with uh, it's Gilby, Warren D. Martini, myself, Jimmy DeAnda. Uh, yeah that's what we're doing right now we're doing these live streams we're doing okay. these videos and and uh because we oh. can't gig yeah no that's crazy and then you have a movie uh you have a movie called the locker that's coming out and then you'll there's another one i was curious about another one with eric roberts called rock and roll zombie apocalypse i'm really and then that mark metcalf is in that too who mark metcalf from uh, animal house there's a bunch of people in that you know, we haven't actually shot that. The we shot a trailer for that. Okay. And uh, you can you can watch the trailer, but I know they're still trying to. That's one of those pilots that they're still trying to secure the funding to make the feature. Okay. And gotcha. it, it's really great. Um, but we just hope that they can get the funding together on that. You know. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Is there anything else you want to promote at this time? Uh, no, you know, I'm, I want you to check out that, uh, street survivors movie, which is okay. on Amazon and it's a story of the Leonard Skinner plane crash. Yeah, I want to see that. It's is it free on, is it on prime or do you have to pay for it? I think you've got to pay for it, but okay. it's not much it's like yeah. 99 or something like that. Uh, but my good friends at Cleopatra, Brian Pereira and uh badass director, Jared Cohn. Uh, who he's he's becoming like he's working one movie after another he's becoming the man so we're very happy for him and uh yeah check it out it's, it's okay. pretty cool especially if you don't know the story of the leonard skinner plane crash skinner was one of my favorite all-time bands you know and that's one of the reasons that i wanted to get involved in that movie and you know my friend brian Pereira, cleopatra records uh produced it okay. so check it out 
I think you'll find it entertaining. Cool. And, Definitely uh, will. Yeah, support the arts, you know. All right. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I, I really appreciate it. It was really interesting. I like to hear all this stuff. I like these stories. Dude, Chuck, thanks for doing your research. You were really well uh, researched, man. Oh, yeah. You. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, you're, you're a very interesting person. You've done a lot of stuff, so that's cool. I really appreciate it. And you're wearing a Torah shirt. That's, how cool is that? Yeah, I got to support my boys because they, they took the time to do uh, you know, an interview with me, the singer and the guitarist. That was really cool. So, yeah. Yeah, you know, uh, we, they were on the Monsters Rock Cruise uh, a couple years ago. And I, I went and saw him because I always liked him. Yeah. You know, I, was a, I was a fan, you know? Yes. And so was, so was Kevin DeBro. He really liked him, too. Oh, that's and, very cool. Uh, yeah, so uh, check out uh, Larry and the Monsters of Rock are doing a bunch of those live streams, and they've been really, really good. They sound good, and they look yeah. good. So check those out as well. Yeah, I hope you can tour to Phoenix. I'd love to shake your hand in person when it's safe. Yeah, man. Be great to grab a coffee and uh, shoot the shit. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Okay, Chuck. Uh, I appreciate uh, you. Hit uh, me with some links. Let me know uh, I where I can follow up, okay? I will, I will, will do. Thank you so much. All right, brother. Have a Bye. good day. You Bye. too. So that was Sean McNabb, a musician, actor, extraordinaire. Uh, just overall such a nice guy, too. Very cool, easy to chat with. Very easy interview for me. A lot of fun, as always. I hope you guys are having fun listening. Uh, if you enjoyed the interview, uh, tell a friend or share it on social media and tag me. I think that's kind of cool if you want to do that. Uh, if you want to keep up with the interviews, uh, you can follow me on social media or hit the subscribe button uh, so you don't miss any new episodes. Uh, make sure you follow Sean as well so you can keep up with his amazing career. Uh, until next time, have a great day or night and remember to shoot for the moon.